Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed Austin Cleon, the author of the book Steal Like an Artist, Show Your Work, and more recently, Keep Going. We wanted to talk about, firstly, you know, how does a, what is an artist, who is an artist, uh, but more importantly, how can everybody add these ideas of creativity and inject uh, a little bit of something different into how you do your work. So not just being a cog in the machine, doing what you're told, but how can you do something a little bit better, a little bit more creative, a little bit more artistically? So Austin, he's a weapon of an artist and we're all going to get a lot from him. So let's get stuck into the Oz man. The first thing I wanted to ask is that you know, perhaps some people might see us still like an artist or uh, might be thinking that you know, maybe I'm not an artist, maybe this sort of stuff isn't for me. Uh, but would you say that injecting uh, creativity into, into your life and work is, is vitally important for everyone, not just for artists? I would hope that everyone, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is why I really hate using the word creative as a noun, uh, the way that many people do, you know, people sort of, they say, oh, I'm a creative or, you know, you'll be in an advertising agency and they'll call people creatives. And I really hate that because I, I think that it divides the world into creative people and non-creative people. And I believe that all human beings are creative um, because I think creativity is just a tool. It's not necessarily a talent or something that you really possess. I think that, you know, it's, it's something that you do. Um, and I think there are ways to get better at it no matter who you are. And I think that, um, you know, my definition of creativity is not art. It's, you know, it's literally taking what's in front of you and turning it into something that didn't exist before. So, you know, cooking is creative. Um, sewing is creative. Um, you know, rearranging your living room is creative, <laughs> you know, so, um, for me, uh, creativity is just a tool, and it exists to make different things happen. And um, and so, yeah, I would hope that my books would appeal uh, to people who, who don't consider themselves artists, because there are definitely days that I don't even think of myself as an artist. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I I try to. I think that's one of the big. Uh, sort of messages of my books is that creativity really is for everyone. It's not just for people who think they're themselves as quote-unquote creatives or artists or painters or whatever. Yeah, fantastic. I saw uh, a, I think it was like a, a lecture series that you were giving about visual writing and I, I was really captivated by one uh, part of the talk where you were saying that at a certain point in school, they split up art from writing and from everything else really that art class becomes its own entity and if you're not in art mm -hmm. class you're not really doing any art that's if you art's just <laughs> yeah. for art class so I've, i found that that was a really interesting concept that most people probably do give up art from an early time and they think okay i don't do art anymore so i can't really inject any of these ideas yeah, I think it's something that um, you know. If you get, uh, I have um, I have two boys right now, and and uh, one of them's six, and one of them's four, and they don't really they you know kids are pretty hardwired for making art. I mean they they're pretty natural at it, um, and 
I I think it's really when we start it's really when art starts becoming something that you have to be good at to do or you know um it, it's really when it, when we start splitting things in a general sense when we start splitting disciplines up uh start carving the world into special disciplines i think that sort of is is one thing that happens uh in school that can be really detrimental because you know, when my kids are learning at home, um, they don't really think in terms of subjects, you know, like they, um, like my, my, my oldest son is really into the solar system and the planets and, you know, he'll read a book about the solar system, but then he'll turn around and he'll make a drawing of all the planets. Um, and then he'll, turn around and and uh he'll write a song about the planets you know and then he'll and then he'll like watch a youtube video about the planet he doesn't really think of what he's doing as science or art or or anything like that he's merely just sort of experiencing the world you know he's he's learning about the world and so i do i think that there are repercussions and consequences from splitting the world up until you know different disciplines and and calling you know what we do art or writing or english or or math and that kind of thing you know so um i think you know the big thing that happened for me when i was a kid is like pictures and words were together i would copy cartoons and i'd be reading comics and i'd be reading books with pictures in them and then at a certain point in school they sort of split apart and you were supposed to choose and i'm just someone who didn't really choose i wanted to have art and were in words in my life and uh, my life's been the better for it <laughs> mm, that's really cool and one, one of the themes you've got in your books is using art as a self-discovery process so whether it's like your your kid having a you know about the solar system or an adult using art, so what role does this have in discovering who we actually are? Well, I think people have this faulty notion that you have to sort of figure out who you are before you attempt creative work. Like, oh, I got to figure out who I am. I got to go on a journey. I got to like, you know, dig deep inside. Yeah. And I think it's the opposite. I think it's actually in the course of doing your creative work. It's in the course of making art and making things that we actually discover who it is that we are. And I, I think that art, art and creative work, uh, that it helps us it helps us discover who we are because um, a lot of things keep us from even you know we're we're a very distracted culture right now you know I think a lot of people don't even really take the time to think about what's going on in their head so I think simply sitting down with a diary every day is sort of a radical act right now to sort of like empty your head onto the page so that you can know what you're thinking is, is, is sort of a radical act these days. And a lot of people think, well, like, you know, what do I, you know, sit down to write? Like, what am I going to write? I need something to write about. And it's like, well, actually, you'll figure out what you have to write about in the course of writing. Mm -hmm. And that's really the other thing that people don't really understand about writing is that, you know, a lot of writers don't sit down to write because they have something to say. 
they sit down to write to discover what it is that they have to say. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really the, the the good stuff of art. This is the real power of art, and this is why art's so therapeutic, is that it helps us discover who we are, not just express you know, who we already think we are. It helps us actually find out who that person really is. Yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, that really happens with myself in, in doing this podcast. You know, it's three years old, and in in doing this, I really found out what I'm actually interested in, and a big part of my identity has come because of this, which has been really good. So um, another thing from your book, you, you mentioned how in the beginning, obscurity is actually a really good thing. So can you describe mm-hmm. how, what are the benefits of actually people not knowing what the hell you're doing? Well, it's freedom, you know. I mean, you 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 have a real, before an audience shows up, you can sort of do whatever you want and fail and be as messy or weird or as multi-faced as you want to be. Um, and that's why in the beginning, you know, when you're a student or when you're starting out, it's good to not have anybody watching. Um, I always remember this story about the Rolling Stone editors when Rolling Stone magazine sort of got kicked off and, and became very popular. They sort of had this meeting and they were very panicked because all of a sudden they were like, oh my God, you know, people are actually reading this. And they said, let's pretend like they're not because <laughs> there's this there's this self-consciousness that pops up once you have an audience. You know, once you know people are watching you, then you're dealing with their expectations or you're dealing with this watchful eye and uh, it can change the way you work. Um, and so in the beginning, I think it's really healthy to be obscure is to, to not know who you are and. And not have anyone else know either. Um, and later on, if you if you get lucky, uh, and an audience shows up for what you do, there are things that I think you can do to sort of regain uh, some of your ex- obscurity. You know, you uh, there's there's ways to take your art m- making to private places so that you can still have some of that obscurity. Uh, that you have when you were first starting out because I think every artist who you know every artist sort of in the back of their mind I think they really want an audience and then when one shows up they're often surprised and sort of they have to reconfigure Um, but I think in the beginning uh, you know obscurity is sort of your friend when you're when you're figuring out what it is that you're about to do yeah I think that makes that makes a lot of sense especially at the the very start we we spoke about the I guess the false dichotomy of in school you know it's either art or it's English or it's either art or it's science and that there's a we we make it out like they're they're distinct they're mutually exclusive when they're probably not I think another a false dichotomy you talk about in both steal like an artist and in in keep going is the perhaps people think it's either I've got a job or I am an artist. So it's either you have your job or you quit your job and 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 follow your your creativity. But you're very strong on on the idea that it's not necessarily all about quitting your job to focus on your art and it's not necessarily all about monetizing your your hobbies. Can you give us a, a bit more insight into that idea that it's not a clear one or the other? 
Yeah, I mean, it's easy for me because a lot of my heroes are poets, and poets have never really made any money off poetry. (laughs) Um, And so the great, you know, some of the great poets of the 20th century, they all had day jobs. You know, um, Wallace Stevens, you know, he ran an insurance company. Um, uh, William Carlos Williams was a doctor. Uh, Philip Larkin uh, ran a library. You know, there's a long list of poets with day jobs. And even someone like Kafka, who, you know, you think of Kafka as being a writer's writer. You know, he he worked in an insurance company, too. He was a claims adjuster, I think. And um, so for me, it's very easy to have that ethos that you can have a day job and make art because so many of my heroes did. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're so, we're so, so quick to professionalize in this culture. Now we, we sort of feel like if you're not making money off something or if you're not a professional, then it's just, uh, you're just an, you know, you're just an amateur, right? It's amateur An amateur is kind of taken on this pejorative, uh, quality as a term, but, if you go back to the original meaning of amateur, uh, in French, it means lover of. And so to be an amateur is to simply do something for the love of it. Um, and that's kind of something that we've lost in this culture is this um, admiration for amateurs, for people who do things just for the love of them. And I think a lot of people discover that when they take that thing that they love you know, we're all being told to monetize our passions, to do what we love. You know, the easiest way uh, to fall out of love with something is to turn it into your job. Um, so you have to be very careful about which, you know, what things for love you turn into what you also, you know, make your money off of. And I think that it is very, very much possible to make a really outstanding work as an artist and to have a day job. And actually I think that, you know, I think most artists do have some sort of day job. I think it's actually rare that an artist can actually thrive and live on, you know, simply making art. How do you uh, distinguish, I guess, between a hobby, a side project and a side hustle? Is there, in your mind, is there, (laughs) is there a difference and do each serve a specific purpose? Well, I think a hobby is something that you do just for you that, you know, a hobby sort of is something that you do in your free time that's just sort of for its own doing, right? It's just kind of a, uh, um, it's something you just do for the love of it just because you like to do it. It's, you know, I think often hobbies are things that help us sort of decompress or blow off steam from the pressures of work. Um, so for me, like my hobby would be playing the piano. Um, a side hustle, I think, is something that you start out doing. For me, the term hustle means that it's for money. Uh, you're you're doing something in addition to your main gig to make money. Um, and a side project, I would say, it probably exists in some middling ground between them, I would guess. I, I, don't, I don't know for sure, but I think a side project is something that you sort of 
are working on, you know, it could be for money, it could be for love, you know, but it's just something you do that sort of feels auxiliary to, to, to what your main thing is. But I think it's really side hustles and, and hobbies that are sort of at odds because a hobby is something, you know, you do just for you and a, and a side hustle is something that you do for money. Um, and I think that a lot of us feel pressure now to turn any hobby or passion we have into a side hustle. And I think that's, there's a lot of different reasons, but, you know, mainly I think it's one, one of economics. I think that, you know, in the, I think it used to be that, um, you know, day jobs were a little bit more, uh, I want to say like not, if, if not available, then maybe a little bit more comprehensive, you know, good benefits and decent hours and stuff like that. And I, think of the modern economy, those kinds of jobs are kind of disappearing. And so I think a lot of the push to, you know, have side hustles is simply one of economics. Mm. But I think that, you know, I, I think that if you want a creative life, uh, part of that life requires adjusting um, your overhead, uh, figuring out a way to live as cheaply as you can so that you can have a certain kind of, I think that monetary freedom leads to creative freedom in a lot of situations. And if you aren't, you know, in need of a bunch of money for expenses, then it's easier to free up that time uh, to make work and Mm. make art. So then I guess taking that on board for someone might mean, having a job where they, rather than work five days a week, um, get a better paying job for less time so you can spend more time on, on your creative pursuits as uh, one strategy. Because I think automatically everyone thinks if you've got a job, it has to be nine to five, uh, five days a week. And uh-huh. the other option on the table is you can minimize that to focus time on, on your other projects. Yeah, I mean, time is really the... I think time is really the resource that artists need the most of. Um, I, you know, t- time is is the thing that I think a lot of really good creative work runs on, and time is the thing that a job will really, you know, suck away pretty quickly. Um, and so I think that for people who do have day jobs, I think it's always a matter of like just stealing as much time as you can in the little bits and pieces of your day. I mean, I, I when I had day jobs, I would you know, I was always using my commute. I would take the bus instead of driving, you know, just to have that extra time to work. Um, I would, you know, take my lunch breaks and turn them into work time on my own projects, you know. So it's hard. It's it's, uh, but time is really the thing that I think is much more valuable to the artist uh, than anything else. Um, and as much time as you can free up, uh, the better. Mm, absolutely. One of the other things which is um, hard for anyone who's pursuing creative endeavors is finally uh, sharing your work when you have to get finally get to that point. Um, yeah. So how do you handle this this whole process of you know, mentioning how it's a, a part of the self-discovery process. You're really sharing a part of yourself, and you're in a in a really vulnerable moment as you share it. Yeah, I really feel like um, part of the problem with our sort of contemporary moment is that sharing 
can be almost simultaneous with making. I think that, you know, it's, it's very easy now to just make something and immediately share it and immediately have people like responding to it or not responding to it or whatever. Um, and I really think that to have a sort of healthy relationship with sharing your work, particularly online, um, I think to have a really healthy relationship is to sort of get some distance in between the making of the work and the sharing of the work. And what I mean by that is to sort of like get some time in between when you make something and when you share it so that it can become, you can sort of see it for what it is. And it's something that's a little bit apart from you. You know, I think one of the really tender things about, making creative work is that when you're in the act of making it, it can feel very, you know, you're, you're tender about it. You're, you're sort of like, uh, it's in a raw state. And so exposing it to the elements sometimes can be a little rough or tricky. Um, and I think this is something that was really misunderstood about my book, uh, share your work or show your work because, um, in Show Your Work, I was attempting to convince people that sharing their creative process could be just as interesting and helpful to the people they were trying to reach as sharing the work itself. What that sort of sometimes gets misinterpreted as is that you should share things that are in progress. Um, that's possible. You can share things that are in progress. But most of the time I'm talking about – when I'm talking about the creative process, it's not just the actual – you know, stages of the thing you're working on. It's everything that goes into the practice. So for example, in my own life, if I'm working on a book, I don't share drafts of my book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm sharing is what I might be reading while I'm researching the book, what I'm, you know, I might make a blog post about some of the topics that I'm thinking about. I might share a scrap from the cutting room floor, so to speak. You know, I might share something that I cut from the book. There are, there's all this like residue from the creative process that I think you can kind of like scoop back up and, and re reshare um, in ways that can really connect with, with the people you're trying to reach. So for example, um, I think every like filmmaker in a, in a sense, um, everybody always wants to know what movies they should watch. Well, part of the job of the filmmaker is to watch a lot of movies, <laughs> mm. you know? So I feel like every director or every actor should have like a, they should have a, a, a newsletter or a Twitter feed or a Facebook or something and share stuff that they love, you know, same goes for artists and, and, uh, and um and writers and all sorts of different artists because we're all sort of there's work that goes into the finished products that other people don't see and i I think it can benefit them just as much as the products themselves yeah very nice a lot of the stuff we've been talking about uh is probably very easy to talk about but i think uh it can be scary to actually start to do it and and one of the quotes from show your work you say is that the worst troll is actually the one that lives in your own head uh have <laughs> yeah. you got any, any ideas for dealing with this because you know it's great ideas but sometimes scary to actually get started with yeah um you know i feel the scary i don't know if i'm you know i think certain sociopathic tendencies really help 
people who want to get their work out there. You know, I, I wonder about myself sometimes. I, I think one of the things that helps me as a creative person out in the world is I don't really have much of an embarrassment gene. I'm not I'm not really humiliated easily. I don't really have I don't get embarrassed very easily. I, I'm somehow missing that sort of that that side of things. And so thinking about fear and thinking about like having your work in, in the world is something that I have to use my imagination a lot for when I talk to people. Um, and, but I, you know, it's, these things are, I think a lot of this stuff is about desire. You know, it's just like, how bad do you want things? What are you willing to, you know, I think a lot of people who are afraid to share their work, I, you know, it's sort of like, well, what do you, you know, what do you really want? Cause I feel like once you really nail down what your desires are and how badly you want things, then it's easy to like sort of look at what your hesitations are and figure out what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Does that make sense? I, yeah. you know, I feel like a lot of times, you know, fear is, is just like, a it's, it's sort of the triumph of fear over will. You know, I think fears can be overcome with will. Um, and so I, I think it takes a little bit of, uh, meditation on, um, you know, what is it you actually want? I also think a certain amount of ego reduction helps in this whole process. I mean, to sort of understand that no one actually cares at all. Like when you start out, I, I think like when people get started on their creative, you know, work and their life, they, they have this idea like, oh, people will judge me, they'll make fun of me, or they'll, you know, they'll think I'm a freak or whatever. And it's like, well, actually, you would be lucky if they did that, because that would mean they were actually paying attention yeah. to what you were doing. And I think a lot of my friends who have sort of become, they, they, they counsel this to people, which is, in, and this goes back to the, um, the idea that obscurity is, is good in the beginning, no one's paying any attention <laughs> you know <laughs> on the whole the world is not paying any attention to you so you might as well really do what you want to do now um and i think that's a really liberating thing i mean even for me now with my audience i mean i can sneak things in that i don't think you know i'll do things that people barely pay attention to even in my position you know what i mean like even with my own audience so i think the I, that should be a liberating thing. It shouldn't be a, it could be a depressing thing, but it could also be very liberating, you know, that no one's really paying that much attention. So you might as well do what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, <laughs> it's incredibly vital to, to innovate is to not be embarrassed and, and deal with that fear because if that fear wins, then there's there's no reason other to to sail into new territory and and try some new things. Yeah, there's a there's a checklist in, in Steal Like an Artist, and I'm trying to remember what the first three ones are, but it says you will need, and at the bottom, uh, you know, it's like curiosity, stamina, whatever, and then at the bottom is a willingness to look stupid. Mm. <laughs> Because, I mean, I really think this is an underrated quality of people who are trying to do something fairly new is you have to have a willingness to look stupid 
because when things are really new, they tend to look kind of silly or stupid. You know, if you're doing anything that's really interesting, there is that possibility that you might look crazy or stupid or weird. And that's like part of the part of the game. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And there's another <laughs> quote you got in your book. It says, you can't be content with mastery. You have to push yourself to be a student again. Sounds like a bit of like stealing like an artist from a bit of uh, the old Taoism, the empty cup concept. Is that right? Yeah, or beginner's mind or, you know, there's lots of, yeah, there's lots of, you know, the really interesting artists, I think, are the ones who just, you know, once they really figure something out, they're, they're on to the next thing. Because as we talked about earlier, art is not just about cranking out perfect things. It's a, it's a process of self-discovery. It's a process of inquiry. It's a, it's an exploration. And I think the artists that really push themselves are the ones who, the minute they sort of figure something else out, the minute they figure something out, they find something else to figure out. Milton Glaser talks about Picasso. He's, he says, you know, the minute Picasso learned something, he abandoned it. And that takes a certain kind of guts and a willingness to go in places that might not be um, commercially viable, that might not bring the rest of your audience with you. Like The Roots, um, the the rap group from Philadelphia, um, Questlove talks about how their drummer, he talks about how like they sort of knew with every album – because they would try to explore new territory, they sort of knew they were going to lose half their audience every time that they put out a new record. And I thought, you know, when when I read that from Questlove, I thought, man, that takes a lot of bravery as an artist to sort of know that each time you release something new, you're going to lose some people and maybe even half of those people because um, they just won't be ready to follow you where you need to go to sort of um, develop as an artist. And Milton Glaser, who I mentioned before with the Picasso quote, the whole, the whole thing he was talking about is his feeling is that professional growth, professional success is antithetical to personal growth. And what he means by that is when you become successful for doing something, you've figured out what it is that you do. And then the way to continue being successful is to simply do that thing over and over again Mm -hmm. until people are sick of it or whatever. But that, from a personal growth perspective, is a sort of death because you're not learning anything new. You're just doing what you've done before, even if it's paying the bills. You know, and so this is the balance that I think a lot of creative people have to figure out is like, how much am I going to do what I've done before in order to like pay bills or to keep my audience interested or whatever? And how much am I going to go out on the limb and explore and figure out what the next thing is? You know, I think, and all the great artists I think have, have, have 
grappled with that in interesting ways. I think like if you think in pop music, like Prince was someone who always did that. Um, Bob Dylan, I think to an extent did that in his sort of heyday. Oh, that sort of willingness to alienate people and go to places that people wouldn't necessarily be comfortable with is, is one of the traits of, of the artist. Oh yeah. There was a, that was very nice. That was a bit of a banger. Yeah, that was a good, yeah, that was a good, good banger. <laughs> My thoughts exactly. Uh, as we sort of... Uh, arc, 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 definitely banger. As we arc around towards uh, the end now, obviously we uh, we read a, a book each week for the podcast and uh, in all of your books, you always have a list of, uh, of recommended readings at the back as well. Uh, what are some of your uh, favorite books or and or what books would you most recommend that people uh, read? Well, it's weird, you know, because y'all are about to have winter and it's becoming summer here in the northern Mm. hemisphere. So I was I at first I was about to um, to recommend uh, summer books. But um, I have been really inspired by I I always recommend a woman named Linda Berry Um, for people who like my work. um, Linda spent 30, 35 years as a cartoonist. And now teaches uh, comics and writing and creativity at the University of Wisconsin. And she's done a series of books based on her teaching. Um, the one that is the was the real um, inspiration for me is called What It Is. And it's a book about writing. And I think that anyone who likes my stuff, um, all of my stuff has been – really influenced by Linda. So I always like to say the books of Linda Berry. Um, in the past few years, I have been extremely influenced by a woman named Tove Janssen. Uh, she uh, wrote the Moomin books, which are sort of popular all over the world now. Um, but I think her vision of family life that she presents in the Moomin books, uh, both the novels and the comics, it's something very close to what I like try to, you know, we try to model our house after um, as people. And so um, Tove Janssen also wrote some really wonderful books for adults. Um, and one of those is called The Summer Book, which is a lovely little short book that I think um, is, is really good. Um, the third person I would recommend um is another woman named Ursula Franklin is her name. Um Ursula Franklin was a metallurgist <laughs> and a professor, a feminist, a Quaker and a technology writer Jesus. and she yeah, she gave a series of lectures um called The Real World of Technology. And it was collected in a book um, called The Real World of Technology. But she gave these series of radio lectures for the CBC in Canada. And um, that book really blew my mind. And um, those those three women together have been incredibly, um, incredibly influential on, on my work in, in the past couple of years. And I think they're, they're women who... N- not necessarily everyone knows about, and I think they they reward uh, a deep read. So those would be my three um, my three recommendations um, overall, and in, in terms of writers who have influenced me. 
Fantastic. Some great recommendations there. Uh, the other question is, we know that uh, Keep Going is, is only very recently come out, but uh, you're, you're not off the hook there because as you're saying, Keep Going, uh, every day is Groundhog Day. So you're, I'm sure that now that that project's done, you're on to the next one. So what are you working on next? Um, you know, the, the real blessing of Keep Going was at, you know, it, it was sort of a meta thing because in the book I was sort of advocating for a kind of endless routine, a kind of infinite or, or inexhaustible routine that if creative people can find a way to work every day, it, it, that they don't sort of get exhausted, that they just sort of show up and do their daily work and good things happen after out of those, you know, little bits and pieces of effort, that that really adds up to a creative life. And the great thing that I got from Keep Going is now that I have this process of writing in which I don't have to actually worry about what's next because what's next is sort of laid out in front of me. I'm going to wake up every day and I write my diary and then I make a blog post. And then that work turns into talks, which turns into book chapters, which will turn into books. So I'm actually at the beginning of whatever comes next uh, right now, and I have no idea what it is, will be, um, but I have this process that will get me to the next thing if I if I sit down and I follow it every day. Fantastic. I like it. Well, you've, you've, uh, <laughs> you've, you've shown the path, so uh, uh, you're certainly on the path yourself, so you're definitely practicing what you preach, so we look forward to whatever comes next. Uh, finally, where uh, where can people find you and your work? Um, if you go to austincleon.com, um, I blog every day. Um, I'm old school like that. And then um, probably the most popular and most fun thing that I do online is I send out a free weekly newsletter every week and i think over like sixty-five thousand people read it now and um it's my favorite thing i do online so if you go to austincleon.com you can see my stuff you can see my books and sign up for my newsletter fantastic thank you so much thanks for chatting to us today thank you y'all this was fun thanks, Austin. You're